I've been told by everybody up on this roof that they're all off the roof. I am on the roof of Exposure 4. Got fire through the roof of the fire building in the entire rear section. Welcome to Old School. I'm Rick Lasky, along with my good buddy, John Salka. And uh, John, you know, um, one of the things that came up in one of our classes today, and in one of our leadership classes, actually was a company officer academy, you know, is a section where we cover um, like the supervisor, the manager, and the leader, or, or supervision, management, and leadership. And I know we always, we always tell the students that, look, don't dwell, don't, don't confuse what we're saying. We talk about management or managers. We're not talking about like a store manager. We're talking about managing stuff, supervising people, leading from the front, that kind of thing. And you can't be a good leader, good to great leader, if you don't understand what it means to be a good manager and manage the stuff, the paperwork, the budgets, the policies, the procedures, stuff, all right? And none of that works because the very foundation of it all is being a good supervisor and understanding what, what, it, what it means to be a good supervisor and the whole supervision thing. And I think we want to focus kind of a little bit today about uh, one of our idols. I know you wrote, you actually wrote an article on it from our idol, Colin Powell, and, and then we, we actually snipped it right from his book. It worked for me, right? And the phrase is, never what? Never walk past the mistake. Never walk past the mistake. Right. That's certainly one of, the, one of the important elements of supervision. Um, as, you, as you already mentioned, you know, leadership and management and, and supervision are all sort of jumbled together. They're all, they're all part of the ingredients to make a good leader and a good boss. And let's, let's face it, we're talking about good fire officers, about officers, right? Uh, we, we try and make good officers all the time. Some, sometimes, you're, sometimes you're contributing. Sometimes some of your young firefighters are watching you as a young or maybe even as a senior officer. And they're learning a lot just from being with you. Guys don't even realize that they're, they're training future officers just by working with them, just by being in the firehouse and riding on a rig and supervising a couple of young firefighters. You're contributing to their future skills as an officer. Well, and you said something in class today when we were teaching, coincidentally, and you say this all the time, you know, when you got promoted to a lieutenant, when you first made a lieutenant, you weren't sitting at home, wringing your hands, rubbing your hands, going, oh, oh, I can't wait to get to the firehouse and supervise people today. Right. And, right. and, and then we and hear, I actually use a couple of specific examples, right? <laughs> I said, oh, I can't wait to get to the firehouse tomorrow. Make sure everybody comes in on time. Make sure they got the right <laughs> uniforms on. You know, make sure their mustaches aren't over the edge of their lip and stuff like that. I mean, nobody's thinking about that. Nobody, listen, I, I think I can safely say, as officers, those of you that are listening, if you are an officer or you, maybe you act as an officer, no officers are really looking forward to Nobody's really waiting for a chance to practice supervision. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not a sought-after skill. It's not something you're saying, oh, gosh, that's the, that's the best part of being an officer is, you know, is making sure the guys are doing their job. You know? However, the next question always is, is it important? And my gosh, is it important? Oh, it's, it's so important. And, and, and sometimes I think they confuse it. And we, we're, for, we're, we're, we're very quick to you know, clear that confusion up when they go, well, you know what? 
you know, I just signed up to be a babysitter. You know, I promoted to the position of lieutenant or captain. My job is to take care of my people. And I'm like, yeah, it is your job to take care of your people. But, you know, are you use the word babysitter. You said you didn't sign up to be a babysitter, but no, you did. You actually, you, you got, you signed up to be the parent. Right. And you, you can, can use any term you want. Yeah, you good can use parenting. babysitter or be a, you know, parents all over, you know, supervising the people. And right. The, the point is you still are responsible. And I've said this a thousand times and you agreed with me. You were a company officer and a chief officer of varying ranks as was I, you know, officers are responsible for everything that their company does for all the people, whether you have a, an engineer and one firefighter, or whether you have a guy driving a rig and four other firefighters in a bigger city with a more urban environment, you're responsible for your team. You're responsible for their actions, for their deeds and their misdeeds. And if you're going to be responsible for them, you may as well have your eyes open. You may as well be watching what they're doing and measuring what they're doing and making sure they're doing things right and making sure they're doing things as quickly well, as they should be done. How do you know that? We talked about this before we get into what happens when we don't supervise here and here and there. We talk about supervisors, and it's actually a slide we put up there, you know, have to build a work group, a company, an engine or truck company, a rescue company that's trustworthy in all circumstances. Well, how do you get to a point, Captain Salka, we'll go back in time, Lieutenant Salka, where you know those guys and gals are trustworthy? What, what does it take to get to that point to where you know they're trustworthy in all circumstances? What do you do as a boss? Well, you know, that's the benefit. Well, you know, sometimes people talk about when you're a new officer, at least in the FDNY, you're covering. You're sort of like a substitute teacher. You bounce around, you work in Engine 2 tonight, maybe Engine 2 the next night again. Maybe the officer's out on medical leave. And then, then you're gone. Then they send you Engine 298 Queens for a night shift, and then in Atlanta 9 in downtown Manhattan for the next night shift. You, you're all over the map. You're just doing a substitute teacher thing. Every place you walk into, you've never been before. You've never met any of the firefighters or other, any of the officers. And, and you probably will never meet them again, unless you stay local in your one battalion, which often happens as well. The point is, once you land a spot somewhere, once you become the assigned lieutenant of Ladder 1-1, now you work there for a month, for six months, for a year, for two years. Once you develop a relationship, once you have a crew, once they know you and you know them, you know their likes and dislikes, they know your likes and dislikes, oh, uh, Lieutenant Jonas, he's big on uniforms. You better wear the right uniform. Oh, who right, Lieutenant right. Jonas today? Yep. Who's working tonight? Lieutenant Saki. He doesn't care about the shirts, but you better be shaved. Uh, or uh, Captain Smith that's working today. What about what? What does he go for? Quick turnout, man. If you're not on a rig, he'll leave you here in in a, in a cloud of blue smoke. Have your gear on. Have your tools with you. You know, every officer, see, yeah. every chief has their own little their own little things that they that they like. So the point is, once you get familiar with your crew and they get familiar with you, everybody starts to know what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are, what their skill set is. Even the firefighters know what their officers' abilities are, and everybody tries to, to work within that range, work with, and, and do, do what's expected of them and do what they know the boss so, is going to so be the guys, the guys know that about Lieutenant Jonas or Lieutenant Captain or whatever. They know, okay, they, they know kind of what your needs and wants and desires are. Back to what we were talking about, though, how do you know when we said, okay, well, you're in the office doing your stuff, and we talk about this in class all the time. You know, when you don't get when you don't get out and do what, right? What do you when have you to do once visit, in a while? When you don't get out and supervise, when you don't when when you don't get out and, and stop by at drill time, when you don't get out and do your job, not micromanage, right. but there's a fine line. And we've talked about this in class, and I've talked about this at the firehouse with with people. I've talked about this with newly promoted company officers and even newly promoted chiefs. When I was teaching the battalion chief command course in New York City, and I'll tell you what. That's a hard question to answer. I don't know who you are. I don't know who your people are. I don't know who your fire department is. I don't know what their skill level is. I don't know how busy they are. 
but you have to figure out what what the proper mixture is of that. Like if you're breathing down your necks all the time, if you're standing behind the two firefighters that are checking <laughs> the rig every morning, they, they're not really not going to appreciate that. They really right. and, and 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 it's not helpful. However, if you haven't come down in five years while they're checking the rigs, there's a problem there too. And we've seen that the best of crews. We say this: the, the best of crews will become complacent, and and, and 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 with the absence of supervision, without you just you used to say. You have to unask the chair in the office. Get right. down there, walk on the floor, say, hey, Rick, Rick, come here. Hey, I got a question for you. Look, last work that he said he was probably the hearse stool. What's going on? Hey, Cap, this is what's going on with it. I did this. I changed the plug. It's running fine. Right. You know, Rick, what are we doing? We got the spare engine. It's, all right. We got everything on it. I just got to make sure because, you know, remember last time we did this? We, we ended to, up without the foam nozzle or Because we, we just tried to get by with the bare minimum. Of course. We got caught with our pants down. So. See, and, and what happens is this supervision visit that you make, and this is just, let's say, checking the rig, right? It could be a drill time. It could be all sorts of different situations. But let's just go with checking the rig in the morning. Now, your visit to the apparatus floor as a lieutenant or a captain, as a company officer, somebody right in the front seat, it could be quite coincidental. You could be upstairs doing something, getting some paperwork done, finishing an evaluation. You know the guys are working on the rig, and it's fine because you worked with them for five years. And then suddenly you realize, ah, my damn coffee's empty. Let me run down and get a cup of coffee. So now you run down and get a cup, cup of coffee and say to yourself, ah, you know what? Let me make a left at the bottom of the stairs and walk through the apparatus floor, see how the guys are doing on the rig. Because you happen to be going down there anyway. It right. wasn't a design right. trip. It wasn't like you said, oh, it's 10 after 9. Let me go down and check the but rig. But why not, why not get the most bang for your buck, right? But the other point is it, it might be designed. It might be you sitting there saying, you know what? Before 9.15, I want to get down there because I know they're checking the rig starting at about 9 o'clock. Whatever the details are, I don't matter. But the point is you'd be familiar with it. So sometimes it's planned. I definitely want to go down today. I haven't been down for the past three shifts. I haven't stopped down while they were checking the rig. I want to make sure I do it today just because I want to. It's my, if that's the frequency I want to do it with. Like I said, it might be deliberate. It might be planned. It might be timed. It might be staged. Or you just might happen to be going down to get a cup of coffee and say, hey, you know, let me walk this way instead of down the hallway and see what's going on with the rig. We got a probie working today. Maybe, maybe let me see what the senior man is doing with the probie, showing them how to check the rig. So, but, but the real important point is, is you can't ignore that. You can't not do that and say, these guys are great. They don't even need a boss around here. And I've heard that said. My guys are so good, they don't even need a boss. That's absolute nonsense. Of course, they might not need a boss a lot of the time, but yeah, like you just said, even the best of crews, they will, they will slip by fractions of an inch, fractions of an inch. But before you know it, a couple of weeks or a couple of months will go by, and before you know it, that 35-minute check of the rig will turn into a 25-minute or a 15-quick check. And before you know it, some stuff is getting missed. Ah, I checked this all this morning. I'm not going to check it tonight. You know, little little half steps will be starting to develop. And why? Because you're not doing your job. Because right. you're not being a supervisor. And so so now we're talking the rig. We've talked before. What, you know, when you don't supervise, what else does it get done? They don't get their daily duties done. They don't, they don't, they don't check like you would say, they'll go down, check the oil burner, make sure there's no oil, no fuel, whatever. So that, that's the firehouse, making sure their dailies aren't done, making sure that training doesn't get done the right way, and so on and so forth. Now, the tools and equipment, laundry, the beds are made, the second floor office. All of a sudden, you look under your desk, the garbage can's full, and it was full this morning when you came in at 6 a.m. Guess what? They didn't get to that either. Now, these are not big deals. And you guys that are listening are probably laughing right now, talking about garbage cans under the desk. But you know what? Every little thing is a symptom of the bigger problem. And then maybe you don't have any problems at all. But, you know, if you worked with John Vigiano, if you worked with Ray Downey, you know, if you worked with Pete Lund, I can keep naming guys. If you worked with Jay Jonas, I'll tell you what. You would have all your stuff lined up properly because those are good bosses who, who love their guys and trust their guys and, and train their guys. But they held them accountable. And once in a while they would walk through. And like we say, 
you know what? Most of the time, if you got a good crew, you're going to catch them doing something and, good. And is it, yeah, you're going to catch them doing something good. And here's the other part of that, John, is we, we said this earlier, too, with, with another deal, was you and I, I, I think, you know, we're, we're cut from the same cloth in a, in a lot of different ways. But one is we were never as worried about pissing off our boss as we were about disappointing them. I, I'm telling you... I used to, oh, God, if I, just the thought of disappointing Lieutenant Bill, Hall, Bill Allen. And, you know, a couple times I thought I did. And you know what? Being the great boss he was, he's like, I'm not disappointed. Like a good parent. Look, I'm not disappointed yet. You need, you need to fine-tune some things here, Rick. You need to fix this. You, but you didn't disappoint me. Because I wasn't mad. If I got, if I got like, if, you know, he gave me a little bit of a talking to, I wasn't like, oh, I can't believe he did. It wasn't that. And I wasn't worried about him being mad at me as much as I was like, God, I don't want to disappoint him. You know what I'm saying? Right. And now... So, so, you know, we've talked about a lot of things, what happens when you don't supervise in the firehouse, okay? Um, you know, there's a lot of things. Let's, you don't supervise at a motor vehicle accident. All the things that don't get done there. Rigs don't get, we don't, we don't position our apparatus for blocking properly, safety vests, scene lighting, law enforcement, a lookout, whatever you're doing, all those things. And we've seen enough of the accidents, injuries, and line of duty that's where we went. Okay, here was the breakdown. Here's where they missed. Here's where they missed up. Somebody missed. Haven't you, haven't you pulled up? You sit in the intersection. There's an accident. You see the, the, the police officer, law enforcement pulls up. They see an engine ambulance, and everybody gets out, and, like, one person has a vest on. And everybody else is running around. There's cars. You know, let's say law enforcement is not even in. They have a secure traffic. And cars are whizzing by or still driving around them. And now it doesn't make you bulletproof to wear the vest. But you know what? If you're not visible... You know, and if in some of the turnout coats, the striping may work with a flashlight, but during the day, because their coats are older, you know, that's why you need the lime green, the orange, you know, that's why you need something. Make yourself visible. Right. The, the construction crews do it. The bright green, they do it. That's why the chevrons work on the back of a lot of the rigs. The green and red, it's not even like nighttime reflective yet, but you see that stuff. So, And, and, and the point is, we're not even debating about the colors and oh, the best no. the stripes on the coat. The point is, if your department has you know, rules or regulations or SOPs for highway incidents. When you get off on a highway, in addition to your turnout coat, you must wear the highway the highway visibility vest, okay? And if they're supposed to be wearing them, they're supposed to be wearing them. And when you get out of the front seat and two of you guys are wearing them, two of you guys aren't wearing them, that's when something has to be said. Billy, Billy and Tommy, let's go, guys. Get your vest. I, I got to tell you a great story about my boy. My boy, Brian, is a firefighter down in North Charleston. Another great fighter. Oh, man, great fighter. Class one fighter bomb. Great. Way. Class and, uh, one or not, they're a great party. He is a he's lucky enough that he uh, that they got it to engine seven, station seven, which is rescue seven, and then engine seven. Great, great place. They're very busy, running around a lot. I stopped to visit him my last trip down there to see him and my new my new granddaughter. Uh, I went and I worked not worked the half shift, but I hung out with him for a couple hours, like you know most of the day shift. And we went on a bunch of runs. And uh, the first one run we went on, well, of course everybody click click click. Nobody had the seatbelts on. Not even an issue. Not even a discussion. No bells. No, no. whistles. No nothing. And where did that start? What? Where did that start? Where did it, that started? That was just the guy. What, there was a little talk, and, they, and and the officer said, "What? We leave the building. Everybody, everybody snapped up. There you go. Right. Boom, done." And I was very surprised and very happy because now suddenly it's not just a firefighter; it's my son. Yeah. And I'm saying, "Oh, he's wearing a seatbelt." And we go out, we go on around. They undo. There was a medical call. They handle it. Get back in the rig. Now, now we're swinging back the corners. We pull up the corners. Rip across the road. What does my son do? My son reaches forward from where he's sitting, and grabs up. A, a reflective vest and throws it. He doesn't even have his coat on anymore. It was an EMS one, but he throws it right over his work work shirt. Jumps out of the rig, and now they're out there stopping traffic so the rig can back in. I mean, 
maybe that'll happen someday in the FDNY, but, but I've never seen that happen anywhere. But I was so impressed with the fact that wearing a vest when getting out of the rig to back the rig in was just an SLP. It wasn't, it wasn't too silly. It wasn't too babyish. They just do it. They just do what they're supposed you know, to do. You know, what it, you know when the silliness and the babyish goes away? When you're at a funeral. Right. And you're going, so they're out there running around traffic and nobody had vests. With, with the black turnout you know, We have to do something. We have to hold an officer. Go, why do we? Well, you know, here we are again. We've said this. Well, how many times do we have to go somewhere for something like that? Well, if they'd only been wearing their seatbelt. Right. How many line of duty that's if they only been wearing their seatbelt? Well, you've said it a ton of times. And I, and I love bringing Jay Jonas up because Jay Jonas is a great friend of mine. We, we're probably school love together Jay. in Rescue 3. Great, great man. Great, great officer. Leader. Captain Sirius when he was a company officer. He's a deputy chief now with 40 years on the job. We were in the same probate class. And I'll tell you what. And, and there's no messing around with Jay Jonas. Jay Jonas was a straight shooter. And I use that term, you know, with, with affection and with love and with respect. He, when you work with Jay Jonas, you do what you're supposed to do all right. the time. There weren't too many things that were done contrary to policy, you know. But he wasn't some stern, you know, ratchety old guy. He was a great company officer that guys loved working with and had fun with and respected. Yet he told the line and he held everybody to, to, to doing their job all the time. And I always said to myself, why doesn't everybody work like him? Why doesn't everybody <laughs> act like him? Why isn't every lieutenant and captain that rides the front seat in every fire department, everywhere? Why, why do they, they allow guys to hop off the rig wearing a pair of shorts, no bunker coat, no reflective vest, and they leave the helmet on the back seat and get off with a halligan to try and work at an MVA? I'm saying to myself, what's going on? And I, I do it in a volunteer. Stop when we go. We're in the chief. I, I, I pull up to an MVA or something, and if I see guys doing something wrong, if I can, I'll cut it off right there. Say, catch grips and tools. And if not, I'll talk to the officer after the run. Get back to fire. So listen, William, from now on, when you guys get off the ring, everybody has a tool. Everybody. If it's the engine and they're not going to carry a tool, then it should be standing at the back step holding a piece of hose and waiting to be called to stretch the hose or not. Once we determine we're not going to use the line, then they should walk around to the cook compartment and grab a tool and join the rest of the guys doing whatever it is they're doing. The details are not important. But what's important is everybody should be properly dressed. Everybody should have their radio on underneath their coat, know what their, what their idea is on radio, and everybody should have a tool. The tools is old news now. I've been chief there for the second time for over a year now, and every, nobody gets off the rig without a tool. Very happy but, isn't that, but isn't that an all kidding aside with the terms? Isn't that good, 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 good supervisor? Isn't that good parenting? What do you tell? What do you, tell? You, you tell your kids, it's snowing outside. Put your coat on, zip it up, put your gloves on. I want a hat, I want a scarf on you. Do this. You know what? Before you cross the street, look both ways. I mean, I, I'm just—I know I'm downplaying a little bit, but that's what—that I thought that's what you're supposed to do. You never walk past a mistake, or even before that, don't allow yourself to even get to a point where you're walking past anything that can even deem a mistake right. or an error. Right. So, so talk. I mean, real quick, talk. I mean, what you talked about accidents. We talked about that. What happened to happen there? The fire scene. When when you don't supervise at a fire, when you don't supervise your crews at a fire, we talk about freelancing, but you know, and everybody has a, a kind of a, a couple of different views of freelancing, but when you don't supervise in a fire, guys, guys cut their toes off, guys end up falling off roofs, guys don't have ladders placed right, they don't have healed right. Position their rigs oh, properly. No roof ladder, no We, this, we had no that ladder. just recently. Again, back in South when we grew up, we had a report of a, of a house fire, smoking a house. We pulled up there with the first engine. We don't get a lot of real fire calls. We don't get a lot of real and calls. And you've got some great firefighters. You've got like a good right? you got You get some New York City firemen and some New York City cops and sanitation guys and guys good that work in the state. All, and a good group of young young firefighters, guys that are just starting jobs and guys that are still in college and stuff. And so, so we get this report of a smoke in the house. I get there very quickly with the car ahead of everybody. 
up up the street comes the first engine, sirens and lights going, right? They pull up right in front, which is where they're supposed to be to get the pre-connection everything ready to go. And the truck didn't come out yet because we get the engine, first two engines and the second two engines right in front and behind each other, right? On the other side, we get the rescue because we get a lot of rescue and medical falls. They come out first. So the truck is generally the third piece that rolls up the hill. So now I see the second piece coming up the hill. What is it? The second engine. And what does he do? Pulls right up behind the first engine. Say to myself, what are they doing? We finished what we were doing. Turns out it was just food on the stove. We knocked it down. We took it off the stove and, and extinguished it, vented the place out, put a fan in place. I always have them stretch a line, line to the front door, no matter what it is. Line to the front door, I let them do that. They get used to pulling some lines and packing some lines. And then Pete, Pete comes over to me, my second assistant, on a job in the FDNY. He says, what's the second the engine doing? I said, I was asking the same question. I was wondering the same thing. They're not supposed to be there. They're supposed to be ready to supply the first engine if they have to. They should have stopped down a block at the, at the hydrant before they got to the building and been waiting there, waiting for them to say, oh, we got a fire. Give me, give me some water. And they could have keyed the hydrant and laid it up. We even consider saying, you know what, from now on, if we go out on a fire call, the second engine will, regardless of what's happening, they will key a hydrant, check it, test it, and lay a line up to the first engine. And if it's nothing, then we get to repack the hose again, you know? So the point is, all these things, whether they're SOPs, whether they're SOGs, whether they're just tactical operations, tactical routines that we do, that's why we want to, that's why we want to do them. And once you establish them, once they're, once they're woven into the fabric of the company or the unit of the department, then it's the officer's job to what? To make sure it happens. Make sure everybody's dressed. Make sure everybody's carrying tools. Make sure everybody's laying a line. Make sure everybody's got their seatbelt on. I mean, that could go on and on. Well, and we, we start off talking about our idle Colin Powell and, and never walk past a mistake, right? So let's, let's, let's take that in a little bit of a different direction, if you will. We've always kind of applied that to the supervisor and to the boss, the lieutenant or captain or chief or whatever. But, you know, it, it also, John, applies to the firefighter. We say don't walk, never walk past a mistake. For our listeners, don't think we're just talking about those that are wearing a trumpet or the bars. <clears throat> it, it, it's as a firefighter, you are a senior firefighter, a new you walk by and you see tar on the blade of the saw. You see a hook that has plaster on it. You see the hose bed that's all, all messed up or whatever. So you, you see, you, you, you see trash on the floor. I, I mean, I could go, oh, I could just keep listing them. It, it, it's the same thing when it comes to just your day-to-day -day operation as a firefighter. Don't, you know, as, yes, it's one thing as a boss to walk past a mistake, but as a firefighter, right. never walk past the mistake, man. Stop, you know, stop, change it, pick it up, clean it, retape it, paint it, whatever you got to do, you know, but first of all, it's called company pride. Secondly, you know, and then, I mean, it becomes your, like, your, your, the way you operate, your method. And then one day when you get promoted, you're You've been doing it already. Yeah, yeah. Right. When I was a 48 engine, Willie Tracy was my chauffeur. You know, he worked a lot of a lot of days with me. And I, I had a couple of guys, but Willie was Willie was just great. He was a great guy. And and he was the kind of guy. Willie would be walking down the apparatus floor, he'd look at the ring, he'd notice something. Either he'd be fixing it. I'd walk past the apparatus floor, see him with a length of hose off the ring. I'm like, Willie, what's going on? Ah, it looks like they, they flipped this up, Captain. We had that little job this morning. And he would just be fixing it. Or he stopped by the office and said, what are, doing? what are we doing for drill today? I'm not sure. I'm not, I wasn't quite decided yet. He said, why don't we do hose packing? Because that looks like they did a crappy job. <laughs> you know, they had a job last night, a different crew maybe. So it wasn't like he was coming rattling or telling anybody. But, but sometimes it's my senior man or even one of my junior men would say, is that supposed to be like that? You know, he wouldn't say it to me. The junior man probably say it to another firefighter. Is that supposed to be like that? And that's great when even your firefighters have their eyes open and they're able to yeah. figure out what's going on and what looks good and what doesn't look good. And maybe it's fine. No. You're right, Billy. We weren't doing it that way. 
but now we started doing it that way. Something new, so yeah, you're gonna see that for a while now. So, but but bringing the question up or bringing it to somebody's attention is a great thing. To bring right. Yeah. Uh, it's just uh, you know everybody, and, and I'll just I'll just kind of as we're moving to finish things out with this episode is take some pride in yourself. Take some pride in whether it's your appearance, your firehouse, the appearance of that, your rig, your tools. I mean, that whole company pride thing. That's not just smoke and mirrors. And, and you know, I mean, just really, it's just. You know, I've said this before, we don't want to wear the company logos that say we suck less. You know, I love the competitiveness of the fire service. Not the stupid competitiveness, but I love, you know, if I'm working a firehouse, I want my firehouse to look, I don't care how old. I've seen old firehouses that look a thousand times better than brand new ones. 8838, 100 years old. 100. Over 100 years old. Looks better than the gold medal architectural. You're not kidding. You're not kidding. And that's that's the people assigned there. That take care of their stuff. Hundred year old building for sure. Outstanding. Yep. Hey, another another one in the hopper. Uh, we're talking supervision and never walk past a mistake. And we mentioned a book, you know, Colin Powell. You know, that it worked for me, which is based on the Powell leadership doctrine that he did back when he was a four star general. When I think CNN uh, uh, interviewed him, and all these years, his thirteen points, yep. whatever it is, great leader has worked. Great, great man. It's a great book. Pay attention to it. Pick up any of our books. Uh, we're on Kindle now. Five Alarm Leadership is on Kindle. Absolutely. Pride and Ownership will still be uh, soon be there. The Engine Company. Yep. We're going to be moving with our audio books to uh, iTunes and to Audible. So we'll, we'll get you posted with that. But uh, if you need to get hold of John, John's email is always it's 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 Chief John gmail.com. <laughs> that way you can hear his voice saying it. I'm Chief Lasky at gmail.com. So hey, if you need something, give us a shout. Um, catch us at one of our classes, and uh, we hope that you're. Uh, you're still loving the job like you should be, man. Until uh, next time, please keep the men and women, our armed forces, and your thoughts and prayers. Be safe. God bless you. And thanks for tuning in once again.